Hey guys, Gary here. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, Sports Engine. Sports Engine is dedicated to making the life of a youth sports volunteer easier. Through their applications, people are able to save time on administrative tasks, allowing them more time to focus on developing their athletes. More than a million teams, leagues, and clubs use Sports Engine every day to run their websites, promote their programs, and to collect signups. They also offer an easy solution for getting uniforms delivered directly to their athletes' homes. It's called Sports Engine Gear, and you can check it out at sportsengine.com forward slash gear to get started. Great. Now, on to our show. You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Here's our host and Squad Locker CEO, Gary Goldberg. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of On The Whistle, where today we have Jennifer Garrett as our guest. Jennifer is an internationally recognized leadership coach, speaker, author, an army lawyer, as well as a former Fortune 100 corporate executive. And um, Jen has uh, evolved her teaching practices, her coaching practices, and the book that she's written as a reflection of life in comparison to the game of football. And so there's lots of really interesting analogies that Jen has made through her writing and through her life's work. Um, Jen has... uh, variety of different interesting degrees, uh, but one that I think is pertinent and and most relevant is her um, Master's in Communication and Leadership Studies, as well as Master's of Law and Business Transaction and Taxation. Um, She's won a variety of different awards, as well as the GE Women's Network Hall of Fame Real Life Hero Award. Um, And again, she has experience as the Judge Advocate uh, Council Group which is the legal representation in the military. Um, She also serves on the Board of Counselors for the University of Southern California, the Marshall's Master of Business for Veterans, um, and is involved with a number of nonprofit organizations that currently help former military service members and professional athletes, such as merging vets, players, operation teammate as well. So Jen, welcome to the show. Really nice to have you here today. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. Jen, tell me a little bit about um, your interest in the game of football and how you started to use it as a proxy for life's challenges. Yeah, that's a great question. So I fell in love with football, as I like to say, at the young age of four. I grew up in Chicago, in the city. My parents were diehard Bears fans. My dad didn't play, coached, wasn't around the sport, and I had no brothers that played. So my exposure to football at a young age was watching Chicago Bears football on Sundays during the football season. And I was just captivated, intrigued by, it's a fast-paced sport, but also the team's ability, and this is not unique to the Bears at the time, but to come back even when they were down, you know, two, three, four touchdowns uh, deficit. And so that just interested me. And I started watching the game more and drawing all these lessons that I saw could also apply to life, which I'm sure we'll get into more. But I think that one that I just described about them being able to come back is something we can all relate to in life. There are times when things aren't going our way and we have two choices. We can keep playing the game or we can give up, 
right? And so those that are successful are the ones that continue to figure out what plays I need to run to be able to move the ball and get across my goal line. And your motto or your or the phrase that repeats throughout your organization is move the ball forward. Is that correct? Move the ball. But move yes, the ball. We want to move it forward. Yes. And how did you end up with that phrase in particular? Well, my book is called Move the Ball. And when I was thinking about the title for the book, because you want to have something catchy, I, I really thought about, well, you know, this is a book about life and football and, and goal setting and figuring out how to win. And then it just kind of popped in my head that you move the ball forward. So I don't re- remember exactly how the name popped in my head, but it just came to be. And it's it's been pretty neat to see how people have caught on over the years and people will hashtag move the ball and reach out to me and say, hey, Jen, I moved the ball today. So that's pretty rewarding for me to see it stick with people. So the book is available on Amazon.com as well as other places. And it's Move the Ball, How the Game of American Football Can Help You Achieve Your Life's Goals. And there's some really interesting descriptive write-up on the book on the Amazon website. Um, Move the Ball draws parallels between American football and life. The principles needed to win the game of football are the same principles needed to win the game of life. All sports highlight the importance of teamwork and leadership, but other sports don't teach you about being aware of the blind side, focusing on getting the next first down, thinking before you punt, and more. There's some really unique principles that football shows us. In each of us, these strategies are applicable to both on and off the football field. So I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by it, one, particularly because of the fact that we're headed towards the end of the NFL season. And during this time of year, there's clear winners and losers. But also the uh, comparison you make towards things like blitzes and blindsides and first downs. And Talk to me a little bit about some of those elements and, and how you think about them. Yeah, so one of the fundamental concepts in the book is this concept that where I analogize you to being the quarterback on your own life's field. And so as you're out there looking at how you're going to progress forward, you need to recognize the landscape that you're playing with. What's the game that you're playing and who's out there with you playing both on your team as well as on the other side of the ball that may be competitors from a business standpoint, that may be competitors from a career standpoint, that may be people that are out there that are trying to see you not succeed and that does happen unfortunately at times it could be circumstances that you have to navigate but you have to be aware of who or what is on the field as you're trying to play the game and so those concepts that you just mentioned really tie into those things for example when we talk about recognizing the blitz the blitz is all about people who are intentionally trying to limit your forward progress and again it's not fun that they are there but it happens and so you need to a be mindful of that and in the book I talk about a story where I really learned that lesson and it was a hard lesson to learn because you don't think people can be mean or vindictive and it's it's part of life so I share the hard lesson that I learned from it that you have to recognize they're out there and figure out okay well how am I going to navigate around this how am I going to beat the blitz so that I can continue to move towards the goals that I'm trying to achieve Can you give us a little background on your experience with the U.S. military? Uh, So were you an officer and then joined the um, judge advocate group, or did you start off in some other role? I'd love to know more about that. 
Yeah, so I commissioned in as a judge advocate officer, so as a lawyer, so that my whole experience in the military, and I'm still serving today, is tied to uh, the judge advocate general corps providing representation um, for soldiers on certain areas. And then a lot of the work I do is more on the government side and representing the government. And did you find any correlates between, you know, discipline and rigor and rule in the military that translated into your book or some of your practices around move the ball? Sure. I mean, discipline is a big part of it. That continual improvement, looking at how do we, something in the military that's very common is we do what's called an AAR, an after action review, where you're always assessing what's gone well, what's not gone well, and where do we need to improve? So that way you can focus on that continual improvement. And I think that's important, not only from a business operations standpoint, if you will, but also from a personal standpoint, personal development and growth, where do I need to develop? And the military is very much about personal growth, professional growth as well. And so that's something that I do highlight in the book. So in the book, there's this acronym called MAD Pride. MAD Pride stands for eight elements that I say separate the good leaders or the great leaders from the good and everybody else. And so the uh, I in MAD Pride stands for improvement focus, which is really about people who are great leaders are always looking at how they can improve so they don't become complacent. They don't think that they're better than everybody else. And it's all about how, to, how can I get better every single day? Jen, when you think back about some of your experiences in your youth through the military, through school, and, you know, developing and writing the book, are there leaders that you met earlier or different times in your career that um, epitomized the mad pride elements before you came up with them? Can you think back at some of examples of people that were particularly strong mentors or leaders that had some of those elements in their natural personality? Yeah, absolutely. So one that immediately comes to mind is a gentleman by the name of Dennis Mullenberg. For those who are in the aviation world, that name may sound familiar as Dennis was the CEO and chairman of uh, the Boeing company. Uh, and then he ended up stepping down with the 737 MAX incidents that happened last year. But, but I came across him very early in my career when I was working at Boeing and just fantastic leader, people leader, transparent, really cared about not only the business success, but the people. And I think that's one thing that's so important that a lot of people lose sight of is taking care of your people. It's not just about business results. It's about connecting with one another, supporting and developing future leaders too. When you look at great leaders that are out there, it's not just about what they do and how smart they are. It's about how do they influence, empower, and inspire the rest of the team to be better as well. And that's something that Dennis, I think, did really well. How would you think about translating that down to the youth sports arena, the youth sports leadership arena, when you're dealing with maybe kids who are as young as eight or nine years old, all the way up to high school seniors and young college uh, students? Great question. Yeah. So first off, it's all about connection on a human 
level. So treating people as people and building those connections based on common interests, what if it's sports or just getting to know who are the players on the team or in the organization and building these bonds, that's what it's about. That's what really brings teams together is that human connection. So I'd say that's first and foremost. The second is staying connected to the why. What's the purpose of what it is that you're looking to do, whether you're on an athletic field or you're mentoring uh, youth outside of the sports context. It's you know staying connected to the why, uh, alignment to that, and really just making you I think a big thing too is letting people know that you care, right? That you genuinely care and that you're authentic in how you show your feelings towards them and asking people about their day. And this isn't just for youth, but I think it also applies to that. And lastly, I think it's important for people that are in the leadership space for the youth is to remember that you are always being watched and your actions influence everybody, especially people that are younger, that are trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to be a great adult, right? As I'm looking at growing. And so that's social media, that's your in-person or virtual interactions. You have to be mindful of the energy that you put out into the space. Oops. And, uh, and so I think people lose sight of that. It's easy nowadays to tweet, right? Or it's easy to post some negative thing on social media because you're emotionally charged for one reason or another. And I think people really need to pause and think about what is the effect that this is going to have on the people that read it. Is it going to help vibrate them higher or is it going to take people's energy down? And that's another thing I write about in this mad pride acronym is the E stands for energy that energizes. So are you using your energy to energize the people around you or are you taking away from others around you? You know, there's a quote on your website. It says, when you face rejection, be bold enough to use your voice, brave enough to listen to your heart, and strong enough to continue on. You can and will still move the ball and live the life you've always imagined. So, you know, in the context of that section of the website, it just talks about rejection and defeat and not having it define you, but effectively looking at it as a step towards other choices. Mm -hmm. How did you get to that? Uh, how did you get to that point where you feel so confident in this quote and in that position? Well, first off, I think that every single one of us deserves to live the life that we want. And I, the reason I want to emphasize that is I think some people don't think that they're worthy of it, but you are because they don't have that confidence that they deserve it. And so I think when you realize that you can and you should go after whatever your passion is, that then you start to develop a little bit more confidence in, yes, I'm going to figure this out. And there are going to be people that tell me no along the way. I mean, when you listen to any successful leader, they can tell you stories about the no's that they had along the way or the people that told them that they couldn't do something. And when people tell you that, you have two choices. You can listen to them or you can say, okay, thank you very much. I'm gonna continue doing me and I'm gonna have that courage to put myself out there and see what happens. And I do believe that if you trust the process and you're consistent and persistent with your actions, you will get to where you wanna go. May not be as quick as you want, but if you stick with it, it will happen. Jen, what does that language look like from coach to player? So if, as players face rejection or defeat or failure, 
which is very common in athletics and it's very common in education where some of our other, you know, the people that we interact with um, on the show and also at Squad Locker in our business are working with young people. And those young people face the rejection or failure in this process in their journey of life. How do you, as a mentor, take that language and give it to the child or the young adult and turn it into forward momentum? Sure. Yeah, a couple of things. One, learn from every rejection that you have. So what's the takeaway that you can get from that? Next, focus on the next play. So I have a podcast. It's called Move the Ball. Have a lot of professional athletes on there. One of the things we commonly talk about is how what happens if you fumble the ball or something doesn't go as planned or you lose a big game? How do you stay focused for that next one? And they say a lot of, well, we take a minute, take a time out, but we focus on the next play. You don't have time. I don't have time to worry about what happened before. And same thing here. It, it's frustrating. Sure. But you have to condition yourself to be like, that's part of, all through life. We're going to have people telling us no shutting the door, something's going to happen. So you have to condition your mind to say, okay, I'm going to learn from this experience. How can I do this better? Or what do I need to change so that the next time I go after something, I can get to a yes. A lot of what we're talking about seems very individual focused. And then in the context of these individuals is a thing called team. So what would you tell kids or coaches or, or mentors how to find the balance between the individual, the I, and the we. Sure. Well, first off, there's no success with just I. So everything that all of us do really involves a team, whether you, you consciously recognize that or not. In, there are maybe some small situations where it's all you, but in most major things in life, you're going to have people that are helping to open doors, that are giving you advice, expertise, that are um, championing you on the way. So it does take a team to get to your what you think is an individual success and so i mean even you mentioned you know some of my educational background i was a single parent at a young age had my first kid right before my my 18th birthday i was already in college but the reason why i finished my undergrad was because i had parents that were helping me as i was going through college um same thing when i went to law school my parents helped me when i went to law school if i didn't have my parents there well i was the one that got the jd at the end of the day right that piece of paper said my name it wasn't just me that led me to be able to accomplish that so same thing here even though some goals may seem individual or it's a career move that we are getting there are people along the way on your team that are helping so i think it's really important for you to do an audit of who are you aligning your yourself with. And this is true for any age, youth, uh, early career professional, seasoned professional, who is in your circle and are they helping you? Are they lifting you up? Are they pushing and challenging you? Or are they limiting your forward progress or the, the goals of the team? If it is truly a team goal too. So if I'm a young person, I'm listening to the show or, or I'm a coach and I see a young person that I'm mentoring and I think that they're not surrounding themselves with the right teammates. How do you fire somebody from your team? Well, I think it's important if you're watching somebody that you think is aligning themselves with the wrong people, that you have the courage to have that conversation. And that goes back to the relationship that you have with these kids or these individuals. If you developed a great relationship, they'll respect your opinion, right? And they may think a little bit more about, hmm, 
maybe, you know, maybe he's right, or maybe she's right, and I need to rethink my circle of friends. But really, it comes down to having that courage to say, you know what, this person is not, and it's harder for someone that's younger to do, but I think it's still important. This person is not someone that is a good influence on me. So maybe I need to stop hanging out with this particular individual. Um, and so it's just getting the kids to think about their choices because all through life we live with the consequences of our choices. So the earlier you can instill that concept into kids, the better their life choices should be. So you have such a well thought out structure around success and progress. I think I read you have five children. Is that right? Yes. And, and what are their ages? Uh, my oldest, now I'm going to date myself because I said how young I was when I had my first one. I did, we, don't, we don't do math on, on the whistle. We're just kind of curious <laughs> no. about your age of your kids. I'm comfortable with it. Uh, my oldest is 24, and then I have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 4-year-old. Awesome. And so that that's a broad range. And what have you found in your methodology? Has it translated to your kids? And like uh, we have, my wife and I have raised three kids. We were experimenting on our first one. We got a little bit better on the second one. And then the third one, we kind of were even a little bit better, right? And so I'm just curious, Jen, have you seen, I mean, this last one's going to be, could be president for all I know, because <laughs> you've you've learned so much and you've got this great, you know, educational and mentorship structure. How has it affected your family? Yeah, I think so. First of all, as parents, we know that all our kids are different. And so throughout the years, I've had to adopt and tailor my approach depending on that personality, their desires or style, et cetera. But, you know, I think that uh, for the most part, I think that they have taken away things that I have shared with them. And sometimes there's those phases where your kids think you know nothing. So they don't want to hear your opinion. But I've seen as my uh, as my kids have gotten older, they come back to get my thoughts on different uh, life choices, different career pursuits, you know, how, where should I go to college, those kind of things. And so uh, it's been neat to see them grow as individuals. And there is no magic formula for parenting, right? We know that. And so you just hope that you do the, the best job that you can and they turn out okay. And it looks like that they're on a good path so far. They still ask me for money, but uh, it, it looks like they're they're doing well so far. That's funny. Um, you've interacted with a lot of professional athletes. There's some really cool pictures on your website. Can you just give us your website address so people can go to it? And I want to get it accurately. It's jenniferagarrett.com. Jennifer with two N's, Garrett with two R's and two T's. So jenniferagarrett.com. Is that it? That's correct. And to make it easier, if you just remember getinsidethehuddle.com, it redirects to awesome. the website as well. Getinsidethehuddle.com. Great. And so thinking back about all these interactions with some of the professional athletes and, and other um, corporate executives that have, who is standing out in your mind or some of the things that you've learned and said that you've taken and put into your curriculum? Some of the examples that you've you've seen. That's a great question. Um, That's what we do here know, at On The Whistle. We zing you with great questions, mm -hmm. keeping you on your feet. Yeah, you know, I'll share a couple of things. I talked about trusting the process before. That's an important one, especially I work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And that road is a very uncertain road. And so welcome to my life. 
Yes, right. And so as an entrepreneur, I know that. And so you never know what things are going to get thrown at you like COVID. And so one of the things that a lot of the athletes on my show and that I've worked with have always talked about is trusting the process, living by faith and not by sight, meaning that if you do what you're supposed to do, don't get caught up in what happens in the day to day. But if you continue to do what you need to do, things are going to work out and you'll figure it out. And I, I think that's true also from the executives in the Fortune 500 world that I work with, it's focusing on what are the core things that our organization needs to stay true to. You pivot and you adapt as you need to, but if you focus on the process, and I work with a lot of high-performing people, you'll figure it out. You know, but you just have to, you can't get discouraged when something starts to go wrong. Assess, adjust, figure out what your playbook needs to be. And uh, that's a common thing that, uh, that I've talked with, with both uh, executives as well as athletes and how to be successful in whatever element you're trying to do, whether it's a corporate career, an entrepreneurial adventure, some sporting organization, focus on the core things that you need to do. What would you tell somebody who says, Jen, I want to let go. And, you know, look, I'll use a couple different voices in this example. Hey, I'm a batter on a high school baseball team and I'm doing all the practicing and, and, you know, I'm going to the batting cage, but I'm not getting the results or it's infrequent and I'm anxious and uncertain. Or I'll go to someone in the professional world and say, you know, I'm believing the process. I'm willing to let go and do the fundamentals and measure things along the way, but I'm having anxiety about it. Is there a way using your methodology and thinking about it to quell some of those um, moments of low self-esteem or uncertainty? You started the show by saying some people don't think they deserve the life they should have. How sure. do you combat that self-doubt and get back on track? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I think people that uh, take time to uh, express gratitude or to write down things that they are thankful for and they're blessed to have, I do believe firmly in that and that's an important piece. The other thing that I think is important is celebrating the small wins. Oftentimes we're trying to get to this bigger goal and it's not just about getting to the bigger goal. It's about the journey. It's about the mini wins along the way. And in the book, um, I, I talk about this concept called the next first down. And so in football, teams don't try to get into the end zone every single play. Well, if they do, that's nice, but that's not the goal. The goal is to get 10 yards, get that next first down, move the ball down the field and get closer to the end zone and then score. Same thing in our lives. Sometimes we have this goal and there's a lot of work to do to get to that goal. So you need to break it down into these next first downs and measure yourself along your progress towards those mini milestones. And once you hit those, you take credit for them. And the reason why is because sometimes it's easy to get discouraged, especially if you, metaphorically speaking, are on your own 20-yard line and you have a long ways to go to get to your goal, you can get discouraged. But if you're like, hey, you know what? Last week I was on the 10-yard line. I've really improved. Now I'm on the 20. That's great. That gives you more momentum. You're energized. You feel good about yourself because you're making progress and you see that versus just focusing on that bigger end result. And so I think when you take credit for those mini wins and give yourself a little grace, if you will, to know that, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to get to where I, I need to go on the first try. It's going to take practice no matter what it is, whether it's sporting or career related. You just have to take credit for those mini victories, and that's going to help you have more confidence, feel better, and continue on. You use the word gratitude. It's a, I find I'm reading that word more and more, 
I'm listening to other podcasts and, you know, the hidden brain, which is a, a one that I happen to like to listen to on NPR. They talked about, um, new habits and building new habits in the new year. And one way to feel success is to take a moment to enjoy gratitude and, and, and feel, you know, thankful for what you may have already. Yes. What, help me understand from your perspective, the power of gratitude. How does it work and, and what is it? Yeah, I think especially in today's day where you have social media, where everyone's posting the great life, which really isn't the great life. It's their filtered life that they want you to see. But because that's what people see, they look at their own lives and they compare and they're like, oh, I don't have this or that. Or, you know, if I if I'm a parent, like I have days where things are just not going right in the morning. I don't post that on social media. Every once in a while, I will just to remind people that, hey, I'm human too. But most people don't put those things. It's all about the, hey, look, everything's great here. And so I, I think it's important for people to express gratitude because it's easy to get lost in other people's filtered life on social media. And so if you just come back to think about all the great things that you have, there's a lot of other people out there that would love the life that you live. Right. And so we tend to forget about how lucky and how blessed we are. And we focus on the things that we don't have instead of showing appreciation for the things that we do. And so when you take a moment to really write down the things that you're grateful for or even just think about them, then it helps to put things into perspective. And the other thing that makes it nice is when something doesn't go your way it's easier for you to shake it off because you are appreciative of how much uh, goodness you have in your life. And that's where I find people get stuck too, is something happens and they let that negative outcome or event just ruin the rest of their day. Instead of saying, you know what, that really sucks, but I'm really blessed because I still have a roof over my head or, you know, I don't have to worry about where, what I'm going to eat for my next meal or I'm healthy. I don't have COVID, you know, I don't have any family that's got whatever it is. Like when you remind yourself and come back to that, it's easy to let the negative things in the day not stick with you. I'm working on that, that exact practice that you just described, <clears throat> because I can have a negative thing happened to me during a day and then I can feel myself getting dragged down by that one event, but then something positive will happen and I'll feel joyous and rewarded and hopeful. And I'm trying to work on using gratitude to reinvigorate myself during the day quicker. So I don't have as much of a woe is me when I hear or see or feel something that is going to negatively impact me. I worry yeah. though, the way you describe, I mean, I'm 52, I'm almost 52, right? So it's taken me quite some time to build that skill. I look at some of these young people, including my own kids, and I worry that, you know, how can you take a 18 year old or a 13 year old where, you know, they're spending how many hours a day on the phone, looking at all these other people doing all these things as you've described, and try and get them engaged in this practice of gratitude? Like if you're mentoring or coaching some of those young people, what would you start to think about in terms of giving them some tools to get that process kicked off? Yeah, and I, I think it's really incumbent upon us as mentors, as leaders to help um, kids drive that because they're kids. So they're not always thinking about the 
this gratitude word that we've thrown around, they're thinking about, oh, such and such just got that new PS5. But I don't have Jen, that. to be that clear, really they're not thinking at all about it, right? Yes. And that's why they're tormented, caught up, happy, sad, angry, feeling all these emotions and probably preventing them from being the success they can be because they're focused on the what the other as opposed to what I have or can be grateful for. Yes. And I totally agree with that. And that struck me when you introduced this concept. So I'm wondering, like, you know, how do you take a 13-year-old and tell them, hey, um, trust the process. You're okay. You're doing well. And here's some, you know, practices that you can use. It's It feels to me like a challenge. Yeah, it's really about, I mean, you can drive these things through questions such as, you know, you can say, hey, Johnny, tell me about one good thing that's happened today. Or, you know, what are you thankful for? Or, you know, what, just by driving questions like that, that gets them thinking about those things. And it's that repetitiveness. So you have to do it continually. Because mm. if you ask them once, okay, it's gone, right? Tomorrow, they forgot about that. But every day you ask. Or another question that I know a lot of people will ask is, what's one thing you're working on to better yourself today? Right. And they get some thinking about. So I think it's really up to us instead of saying, hey, here's some tools that you need to use. Focus on gratitude. That's going to come go in one ear out the other. Which but is my point, ask, which is yeah, my point. Exactly. Yeah. Questions and get them thinking about how would I answer that? Then that tends to stick with them a bit longer. Yeah, I like that one. What is the one thing you're working on to improve yourself today? I'm going to use that one of my three kids for the next six to eight weeks and see if see if we can make some progress there. Jen, um, tell me a little bit about the law and your law practice, right? So the practice of law is, uh, you know, it's pretty black and white, or is it not? I'm just fascinated by the whole judge advocate group and defending, you know, military people and thinking about that whole thing. And, and as it relates to your analogy about football, is there any correlation there? It's a good question. Um, so I am or am, not I, on the, am I stretching things? Well, I'm not on the defense side, so um, you got can it. So you're on the so you're on the, prosec- on the prosecutorial side. side. Wow. Um, and you know, I mean, well, then you are moving the ball. I, <laughs> right? Yeah, no one's ever asked me that question about parallels. I mean, I, I think. Uh, communication is something that I talk about in the book. I and mean, that's important too. You're making sure that at the end of the day, it's not about, it's not a win or lose. It's about what's the best outcome for the situation. So in the cases that I'm involved with, we're not talking about, for the most part, sexual assaults or things like that. It might be, well, somebody did something stupid um, and there needs to be a consequence for that. What's the right, uh, what's the right level of, Punishment is not the right word, but course of action that we should take to correct that so they understand that this is a consequence because of what you did. And so we'll work with the defense counsel on that. But communication is important, making sure we're all aligned to an agreeable outcome, a common goal, and how do we achieve that? So, I mean, those are some things that can kind of get there. It's a great question. I've never been asked about how the judge, I mean, I think the bigger thing is as an organization, so not talking about a case in specifics, but as an organization, all of the things that are in the book that talk about how to be a great leader, all of those things still apply, right? So when it 
looks at how do you continually improve on your skills? Are you energizing and influencing positively the people around you? And as a judge advocate, as a lawyer, I work with a lot of people that are not lawyers. And so, you know, am I helping to make the organization a better organization through the contributions that I bring, which is also a, a big part of the book? Because it's not just about you and your goals and everything you want to do. It's also about the team and how can you be a better teammate to contribute to the organization as a whole so that they can move the ball too. So Jen, uh, you've had a, a fascinating uh, career and journey between you know, your various degrees, working in the military, interacting with professional athletes, uh, working for large organizations like Boeing and GE. What have you gained more from the wins or the losses in your life? Oh, the losses, hands down. The losses teach you so much to prepare you for the successes. And so, um, I mean, I can just think about so many times where I didn't do something that uh, the way that I wanted to, or I didn't get the outcome that I wanted, or I had the rejections. And it's what you learn from those experiences that really help you to be successful. There's a quote that I read before, and it goes like, failure is a lesson learned, success is a lesson applied. So, I mean, it doesn't sound profound, but think about it, right? I mean, the failures is where you learn. And, and do you always have to fail to be successful? No, not necessarily, but there will be failures on the road to successes, especially if you're looking to achieve bigger things in life, you're not perfect. You're not going to know how to do everything. And so it's by far the losses that have helped me. The losses can also be rejection too, right? Those rejections, sure. those moments have also taught me about, okay, let me figure out what I need to do. And it's also a motivation too. I'm kind of a stubborn, hard-headed person. And so when people tell me, no, you can't do something, then I also use that as fuel to continue to be like, okay, well, I'll just keep doing my thing. And one day I'll get to where I'm going and I'll show you not, not in a rude way, you know, but it's like, okay, thank you. You're just not to, you're not meant to be on the journey with me is really what rejection means. So you've heard it here from Jennifer agarrett.com, Jennifer Garrett, uh, author of Move the Ball, available on Amazon.com as well as other places that books are sold. And your podcast again, Jen? It's called Move the Ball, and you can check it out on all the major podcasting platforms. And also, if you go to movetheballpodcast.com, you can listen to it there. Awesome. Jen, thanks for joining our show today. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being on. On the Whistle is powered by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for customized team apparel, delivered right to your front door. To learn more, visit squadlocker.com.